0: And the Oscar goes to. Oh, thank you so much! This might be the one time I'm speaking. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope?
1: And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank
2: you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm the king of the world! And the Oscar goes and to. The Oscar, goes, and the Oscar goes to. My only object is.
0: The idea here is to try
3: and get out with you. That's like a watch like this. He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give up. I could have been a contender. Passing yourself. I could have been somebody. They can
2: only kill me with a golden bullet.
3: What have I done? Call me, Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make
2: him an offer again.
4: A census taker once tried to test me.
2: I ate his liver. with some not in the For Frodo. With a nice chiant. Don't laugh! Can't stop what's coming. This ain't reality TV! I'm on my phone! You love Twitter. It's
5: time fast. Welcome to the next Best Picture podcast.
1: Oscar goes to okay, Coda.
5: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 290 of the next Best Picture podcast. I am your host Matt Begley. The time of recording is 11:05 a.m. on April 17, 2022. Here to join me today on this Easter morning, for those that celebrate, I have Josh Parm. Hello, hello. Amy Smith.
1: Hi, everyone.
5: Emma Sasek.
1: Good
3: morning.
5: And Tom O'Brien. And happy Passover to those. Absolutely. It's a good weekend. I hope everyone's spending it with their families, having a nice time. We today are coming together as an NBP family to talk about something really exciting. The... Official lineup for the 2022 Cannes Film Festival was announced this week. This is the 75th anniversary of the festival. And boy, oh boy, are they making sure to gain some headlines with this one. There's a lot of titles to go over, a lot of excitement. Uh, We're also going to be discussing the trailer for david cronenberg's crimes of the future no not the original crimes of the future directed by david cronenberg this is another crimes of the future directed by david cronenberg coming out later on this june but having its world premiere at this year's Cannes film festival we're going to be answering questions from the fans we'll go over the polls but first and foremost what has everyone been watching this week at home or in the movie theater amy we'll start off with you
1: yeah it's been quite a quiet week for me um Definitely going to take some time to go to the cinema this week because we have the Northman out here. We have the outfit out here. Operation to Me. It's a great week for cinema. But the only thing I watched this week was I re Dune, which is still my favorite film of last year. And I was, like, I wasn't worried that I wouldn't hold up, like, At home because I'd seen it at the cinema two times, but man, it still holds up when you watch it at home. You're still so taken away by the visuals and the sound, and it's no wonder why this film won six Oscars. It's still my favorite film of last year.
5: Excellent. Yeah, I agree. I've seen Dune way too many times to count at this point. I absolutely adore it, and I agree, Amy, it holds up well at home. Unlike another movie, that I watched uh, from last year, again, from home. But I'll get to that in a little bit here. Emma, what about you?
3: Well, I have been, for work, watching a lot of Coachella (laughs) (laughs) shows going on here in the desert. However, I finally got the chance to go see Everywhere Everything all at once last week. Oh, my God. I loved every second of it. Um, I just kind of need... Michelle Yeoh to star in every film, to just take over my life everywhere, all at once. That's all I need from her at this point. Um, But really, I was so excited to see this. I love seeing amazing original films like this. One, still being produced, and two, being absolutely kick-ass. So that's always fabulous to see. Um, I also finished up on the TV side, uh, Severance last week too. And I am so, so, so excited for that show to come back. What a stellar way to end that show with that final episode.
5: (laughs) Perfect. Absolutely perfect. I actually audibly shouted at my screen, no, because I knew that there was no more episodes left and I was like, damn it.
3: (laughs) I know. That's what I felt like too. Immediately I texted my friend who I, who, up until that point, I've been telling them, you need to watch the show. I said, all caps, get on Apple TV and watch this show right now. <laughs> so, uh, I guess I'll just have to be very patient for when that comes back. Um, but, aside from that, you know, I, I'd say I got the very highs of TV and movie time this week. And the very highs of music as well this week. <laughs>
5: Oh, you're enjoying your best life, it sounds like. I am. That's great.
3: (laughs) I'm happy with that.
5: (laughs) And also, too, shout out to the fact that we have Next Best Series coming back uh, this week. So we'll be talking about uh, television shows that we've been watching during awards season and then also previewing uh, shows that are coming back during the spring and summer as well. So that'll be an exciting episode for everyone to stay tuned for. Josh Parm, kicking it over to you, sir. What did you catch up with this week?
4: Yeah, uh, this has also been sort of a a lighter week with watching movies, also because, rather uh, surprisingly for me, I actually have been trying to watch some more television, so the movies have taken a bit of a backseat, but there are a couple things that I have caught up with. Uh, I did see uh, The Lost City, finally. I caught up with that movie, and it was fun. I enjoyed it. it. It's not, like, amazing or anything, but as a light, Romantic comedy, action, entertainment goes. I found it very charming. And Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum are really good in it. So, again, not the best movie in the world, but for like entertainment, I had a really good time with it.
5: As much as I love his performance in Foxcatcher, I think that version of Channing Tatum is the best version of Channing Tatum.
4: Yes, he is. He has such a great like screen presence, and him and Bullock have a lot of good chemistry, too. So I would definitely recommend it if you're looking for just some nice, light entertainment to watch. Yeah. Uh, I also saw Duel, the new film from Riley Stearns that just came out. And I was not a really big fan of this one. It's not terrible, and I think Karen Gillum is actually giving a really good performance in it, but I also just feel like... The tone of that movie is sort of going for like this dark comedy with this social commentary to it, but it's not quite sharp enough for me. It it kind of felt a little half-baked, and by the time you get to the end, it's like you kind of understand what the movie's going for, but at the same time, I feel like that commentary was so shallow and undefined and kind of muddled that I really had a hard time connecting with it so it's not really bad but I wasn't that much into it either I have to say I need to rewatch
5: it because I still don't understand the ending
4: yeah especially because like I don't know the ending to me is like was one very obvious they were going that way and then when it's so obvious you want to then think is there something else here that I'm missing but it It was, like, very, very underwhelming, the finale to the film.
5: Yeah, it's anticlimactic, and quite honestly, I was trying to understand how it would fit thematically. And I just thought the execution of it could have been more clear as well. But I don't want to give away any spoilers or anything, but it is making me want to rewatch it, though. So I'll give it another chance at some point, because I actually liked it quite a bit up until that point.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I had other issues like kind of just with the world building up until that point, too. But for the most part, I would say that if you're going to watch it, watch it for Karen Gillum because she's the best thing about that film. Yeah. Uh, And then the only other thing that I would mention is that because we are in the middle of our 2012 retrospective, I'm not only rewatching movies for the podcast, but also other films that came out that year just to sort of reacquaint myself with some movies I haven't seen in a while. And, you know, we did Zero Dark Thirty very recently, but another one I have watched was Killing Them Softly, which I don't think I had seen since 2012, to be honest. And I still like that movie quite a bit. You know, it's a really like dark crime drama. It's directed by Andrew Dominic. And, you know, it's not perfect, but I still found it to be A really interesting story with some great characters and like the cast in this is really really filled with great actors like you got brad pitt ben Mendelssohn, james gandolfini richard jenkins scoot mcnary who i think should have gotten an Oscar nomination i think he's incredible in that film so and it's like 90 minutes too it's pretty short and it's on netflix so that was one that i caught up with and i was glad that it still held up for me
5: That was a movie that I remember rewatching it after uh, seeing it in theaters because I was very disappointed by it when I saw it in theaters. Uh, But it held up better on a rewatch. My biggest complaint about that film, Josh, is that 90-minute runtime. I think the story is not as fleshed out as it could have been. It felt more sprawling and it needed to be, I would say, at minimum two hours to feel more complete. But I still really
4: enjoyed it for what it was. I think that the short runtime really only bothered me with, like, the very, very end. But it also has, like, a nice button to it that I appreciated. So I can understand that complaint, but it didn't bother me too much because there are so many other things in the movie that I think work really well. Also, that ending monologue by Brad
5: Pitt. That's an underrated monologue. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. All
2: right, Tom O'Brien. Kind of a lightweight for me, too. I, um uh... Caught the uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, and we talked about it yesterday on our podcast. It's kind of stirred up the Eddie Redmayne fans out there a little bit, but it's a fun listen. So please give a uh, listen to it, it's you know it's a really really uh, good time. Uh, the movie, not so much. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about and saw that was uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Oh, so much fun! Now, I had heard it was kind of fun and. You know, Nick, Nick Cage was wonderful in it. And I was just a little worried going in that it might be a, you know, too meta, just a one note joke, but it's a real substantive action comedy. It's really well done. Uh, they have, uh, they lay little seeds in act one and it really pays off in act three. The chemistry between uh, cage and Pedro Pascal is just wonderful. And I think it's the best work, uh, Pascal has done maybe ever on film. I must say that he is so relaxed and so there that uh, it was such an enjoyable time. You know, having this film and The Northman coming out the same weekend from uh, a lot of weekends of famine, we've got two feasts. So uh, if you're looking for a good time and you've already seen everything everywhere all at once, please give this a try. It is just delightful. There's one sequence in particular where Nick Cage and
5: Pedro Pascal watch a movie together. I won't say what movie it is, but nothing I don't
2: think will warm my heart more than that moment in that movie this year. There's a sweetness to it that I didn't expect either, and it it just fills in the colors of the whole enterprise. It's just terrific. Okay, and then for myself this week, I'll keep it very short
5: here. I saw Father Stew with Dan Baer, who wrote the review for it on the website. Inspirational, true story, very formulaic. You know what you're getting yourself into when you watch this. Mark Wahlberg is he's trying. I'll give him credit for that. He put on a lot of weight for this role, was you know pretty transformative, but the movie is just so basic with cliche storytelling. Every line of dialogue feels very overwritten. And it's comical, but, like, not in a good way. Uh, overall, I just really couldn't take it that seriously, despite the sincerity uh, from those that were behind it. So wasn't really uh, a hit for me there. And then Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, you know, we have our podcast review of that. You can hear my thoughts on that movie. But I'll just summarize by saying that I thought it was a uh, step up from its predecessor. I still think that the franchise has a long way to go towards you know fixing the larger problems uh, from the first two movies because the series has not been off to a good start. But judging by the box office performance, I don't know if Warner Brothers is actually going to continue to make a fourth and fifth installment at this point. They might just say, we're done. If we're going to continue to have diminishing returns on this, there's no need to keep making more of these. Even that or they're going to slash the budget maybe down from – I think this thing costs like $200 million or something like that. So yeah. they might have to cut it down to like one fifty million or something or another. But either way, it doesn't look like it's you know in a good place right now. And quite frankly, I'm not that upset about it. Um, I never really wanted this franchise to begin with and all the stuff that's happening with J.K. Rowling and how she's really just honestly tarnishing, I think, her reputation, her career, and everything else with uh, her own personal uh, thoughts – Honestly, I I don't really mind seeing this franchise not continuing, so maybe in the end it's getting what it deserves. I don't know. Opinions will vary on that matter, I suppose. And in the movie I was alluding to earlier that I rewatched at home with mom and dad because they had not seen this movie. Last night I rewatched Spider-Man No Way Home. Mm. And let me tell you all something. This movie does not hold up at all without a theater audience.
4: Could have guessed. (laughs) At all.
3: I actually saw people watching it on a plane recently. And yeah, it looked not great.
5: (laughs) It's just so oddly edited because, you know, they have these spaces for audiences to laugh and react and clap. And, you know, when you're watching it and no one's doing that, it just feels awkwardly paced then. Um, Also, a lot of people have just, I know, commented on this, but visually it's bland. Uh, I still get a kick out of, you know, seeing the Spider-Men all together and seeing the old villains and things like that. But I've seen these movies. Now, my parents, on the other hand, (laughs) they've only seen the Tobey Maguire movies. Mm. They've never seen the Andrew Garfield films, and this was their first Tom Holland Spider-Man film. But they really wanted to watch this because they felt like everyone else in the world had seen it. And I was like... We really should watch Homecoming and Far From Home before we watch this. And they were like, no, 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 no. Like, put this in. You can can catch us up. And I did my best. But, like, there was no reaction whatsoever from them. And you could could say that that, like, colored, you know, a bit of my own perception watching it again, maybe. But at the same time, I'm watching this thing. And I'm like, no, you know what? My original rating of 7 out of 10 uh, holds up. And this is not... This might be, like, one of the most overhyped movies, I think, possibly of all time, honestly.
4: And that reaction is why, from your parents, why I never really thought it was going to get in for Best Picture at the Oscars. Because it is so dependent on your relationship with this entire franchise. And if you don't have that, I don't think that movie hits with you like it would other people. Yeah. I mean, I still enjoy it for what it is, but... Yeah. I looked
5: back on those couple of weeks there where people were just praising this, like one of the highest letterbox ratings of all time saying it should get in for best picture like I don't know like was it I was it really warranted I don't well, know no it, it wasn't it, people were bored <laughs> exactly exactly all right with that said let's move on over to something that's not boring the official lineup for the 2022 Cannes Film Festival.
0: Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not ki- how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what I, you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, that's I don't, just I don't how buy it. Works. That. That's just how it works. <laughs> wow.
5: Very, very exciting stuff here. Amy Smith, very, very happy to say that she will be representing Next Best Picture for the first time as accredited press. Ooh, uh, this will also be the first time that we've ever had anybody attending the Cannes Film Festival on behalf of the site there. So I'm really just overwhelmingly excited for Amy's experience. I hope it's a good one. I've heard that those lines are very, very tricky and hard to get into certain premieres. But I think that overall, when you look at this lineup here, even if you miss a finger or two here or there, you're still going to eat good at the end of the day.
1: I'm so, so excited. I've been speaking to people trying to get a sense of how it's going to run and apparently last year they did ticketing online and apparently that streamlined the sort of event a lot more. So I'm hoping they do that again because yeah, queuing is not something I am up for.
5: (laughs) Uh, So a couple of things that we knew in advance of this year's lineup. We knew that Elvis from Baz Luhrmann was going to play here. We knew that 3,000 Years of Longing from George Miller and Top Gun Maverick. Uh, There's also going to be a special tribute to Tom Cruise at this year's festival. But let's take a look at... Some of the highlights overall here, and there's a lot to go through, so I'm not going to list all of them necessarily, but I want uh, people to give just general thoughts on some of these titles I'm about to announce here. So we have, uh, first and foremost, in competition, Armageddon Time, directed by James Gray. James Gray's back.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. This is going to be a, you know, Belfast aroma for him in terms of going back to his childhood.
5: Yeah, I'm – honestly, I'm not expecting great things from this, but – I like James Gray. I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. But something about this on paper screams to me that this could be the can fire of the year, you know, where it seems like, you know, given the people involved, it should be a big deal. But I don't know. There's always a, there's always like one film that they allow to come in, usually from uh, the U.S., and you would think that it's going to hit well with the audience over there. And then it gets like a tepid response and – awful Rotten Tomato scores and things of that nature. So not saying I want that to happen. I just have a hunch.
4: I don't know if I necessarily think it's going to be like a misfire, but I more get the sense that – people are building it up to be like a big like Oscar player. And then it's just going to be like a nice movie and it might underwhelm on that front. I don't think it's going to be bad. I don't have faith that James Gray is going to make a bad movie, but there is a part of me that feels like we're that maybe some people are building it up to be more than what it is. Yeah,
2: and they're very comfortable with him over there. Um, He's only made—this is like his eighth film, and this is the fifth time he's been in competition. So, I mean, they like him. They were looking out for him. But uh, I'm not quite sure the in-competition placement is necessarily indicative of what the quality of the movie is going to be.
5: And as of this—yeah, as of right now, it's the only—nope, sorry, second. Two There are two movies from the U.S. in competition this year, this being one of them. Next up— He traveled to the US for his film in between with The Truth, but before that, he won the Palm D'Or for Shoplifters. Koreta is back with Broker, and this time this will be from South Korea.
4: Obviously, looking forward to this one, very much so.
5: I mean, Song Kang Ho uh, leading the uh, ensemble here, and, you know, just in general, I always get excited for a new Koreta film, so I, yeah, sign me up. I'm there. I don't really care what it's about. I, I want to see it <laughs>
4: yeah. especially after the shoplifters because that was so good,
5: absolutely. yeah. I mean, I always think about all the time, like if Roma just wasn't there, like shoplifters would have cleaned house, probably,
2: yeah, and he's and Corita is such a humanist, and this is this sounds like it's very much in his wheelhouse, and unlike Armageddon time, I think this could be the a major breakout of the festival.
3: I also love the photo that they chose for the like promotional material of this. Everyone's having a good time in the car. We are laughing, but ooh, <laughs> who knows what's really happening behind the scenes.
5: <laughs> Probably my most anticipated of the entire festival. Park Chan Wook returns after the handmaiden with decision to leave.
4: I think I have to agree. Yeah. I don't even need to know anything about it. Just new Park Chan Wook. I'm there. Like no, no more information required. <laughs>
2: It's been six long years since The Handmaiden. I've been dying
5: for another one. And so the story behind this one, a detective falls for a mysterious widow after she becomes the prime suspect in his latest murder investigation. He discovers an underground fighting ring consisting of large furry animals and discovers that this is linked to his murder investigation as he dives into the underground world of ghosts and shape-shifting humans.
4: Also, that old story again.
3: (laughs) Are we getting getting something with furries here? Oh, my God.
5: I trust in Park (laughs) Chan-wook.
3: Yeah.
5: I have, like, 100% full trust, no matter how crazy and outlandish the idea is, because, let's face it, old boy exists. Yes, it
3: does. Oh, yes, it
5: does. (laughs) Uh, This is really exciting. Ali Abassi returning after Border, which received a Best Makeup and Hairstyling nomination at the Oscars, with Holy Spider.
4: Yeah, this is another one. I don't know too much about it, but just knowing that it's the follow-up from this director is what gets me excited because I really did like Border a lot. Same. I
5: actually have a feeling that this could be that breakout movie that Tom was saying earlier. I, Because I, I just do feel like there's a lot of goodwill after Border. Kind of like how with uh, Julia Ducanou, uh last year, there was a lot of goodwill following Raw. You know? So I, th- this could be our palm winner. Maybe. You know, just saying, because there's already established pedigree there. Sure, yeah. Uh, number one that we have here, Kelly Reichhart. This is the other U.S. Uh, film in competition and sadly one of the few female-directed movies in competition this year. Um, I got to say, can, I? I understand, like, when they give their response that, hey, we just choose what we think is the best. I'm like, yeah, but you could still afford to – put more women in like they're they're lower this year than they were last year so they got some work to do but still showing up uh starring michelle williams kelly reichhardt i would argue had probably her best uh, award success yet with first cow even though it didn't actually result in an oscar nomination for her uh but i also think that it turned a lot of people on to her of her work where previously they may not have uh, seen it before so i think she's built up um A lot of momentum in her career up until uh, this point. I'm not saying that, you know, showing up will be like her crowning achievement or anything like that. But at the same time, Michelle Williams reuniting with her on paper, that just sounds uh, too good to pass up.
2: Yeah. And their collaborations uh, before certain women, uh, Meek's Cutoff, and especially Wendy and Lucy, uh, they, they really have something magical together. And I'm so happy they're back together. So I'm dying to see this.
5: This is also being distributed by A24, Uh, so we know that it will get a theatrical release uh, later on at some point, and is also co-starring Hong Chow, Judd Hirsch, and Amanda Plummer.
1: The fact that this movie is about artists I'm already in. (laughs) Yeah, this
3: sounds like a really, really great
1: cast.
5: All right, and then after that, we've got new Claire Denis, after, I don't know how many of you saw Fire, but I unfortunately did. So I'm hoping that Stars at Noon, which is another A24 title... Uh, can be an improvement from that one. And I do think that, you know, starring Danny Ramirez, Joe Alwyn, Margaret Qualley, uh, distributed by A24, like I said, again, I do think that this could be uh, a bigger success uh, for the world-renowned filmmaker and hopefully will bring her, um, you know, more notoriety. Uh, I'm not saying that she doesn't already have it, obviously, but it is really, really nice to see that she's working with A24 again.
1: Yeah, She must be one of the busiest people in this industry, but yeah, I saw Fire as well, and I really did not like it, so I'm crossing my fingers that this one's better.
5: I also wasn't the biggest fan of High Life, but I understood like the ambition behind it and what she was trying to do, and I could totally understand why some people really duck it. It just wasn't for me. This does sound a little bit more mainstream you know, a mysterious English businessman and an American journalist who strike up a romance must now team up to escape Nicaragua during the Nicaraguan uh, Revolution. So, sounds like a more conventional movie from her, honestly. And a lot more audience friendly. Yeah.
4: yeah. I think That remains to be seen at the end of the day, but <laughs> hey, I, Claire Denise making a new movie. Like, I know, yeah, the last one I heard wasn't that great, but I'm always going to be excited for whether, whatever she's got coming out and it's a really good cast for this too. So this is actually pretty high up on my anticipation of what's playing there. Russian filmmaker
5: uh, Kirill Serebrennikov uh is coming uh, to the festival with uh with Tchaikovsky's wife and he was previously here last year uh with Petrov's Flu which got a pretty decent reception all around but it didn't make any headway in the award season race. This has been, this has been a little bit of a um, A little bit of a controversial, uh, you know, area of discussion because of the fact that this is from Russia. But if you do any kind of research on uh, Kirill and what he has done to actually defy the Russian government, even being detained by them, like – you will see right away that why he's being invited back here, and this is not so much can endorsing uh, Russia, given everything that's happening in Ukraine right now. I don't think that this will then in turn impact the reception to the film. Maybe some ignorant people that don't understand the background behind this, but uh, I, I really, if there's if there's any Russian filmmaker, they're going to have come over here, have it be the guy that you know had the balls to stand up to uh, the, the, the regime over there.
4: Well, yeah. Like, most Russian artists do not approve of the Russian politics. So I I think it is important to make that distinction, especially with such a big platform like Cannes. So, yeah, I actually think it makes total sense to invite a filmmaker like him to the festival, or at least his movie, and to really make the case that, yeah... Artists are not always representative of their countries and governments and can be very critical at the same time as well. So I think it actually is a good statement to make.
2: Yeah, if the festival gets out ahead of this and uh, really kind of uh, shows via publicity who this guy is, I think the uh, the can audience who likes Boo a lot uh, will be kind of shamed into submission, I hope, uh, because uh, from everything I've read about this guy, he has been very, very courageous in standing up to the government.
5: And then maybe my second most anticipated of the festival here, just because I love this filmmaker so much, Ruben Ostlin is coming back with Triangle of Sadness, starring Harris Dickinson, Woody Harrelson, Charles B. Dean, and a few others as well. And this is a film that, just even from the publicity stills that I've seen so far, this dark comedy looks like it's going to be a tremendous amount of fun.
4: I hope I have to be honest, like his previous movies I've liked, but I have not loved. So I'm still kind of waiting for him to cross that threshold for me into something that I will love. And maybe this will be it. I'm not sure, but I am definitely intrigued to see it. I mean, Josh,
5: how far is Harris Dickinson going for you in this I mean, to get you excited? I'm not going <laughs> to
4: lie. That That is a major part of my anticipation. <laughs>
2: I will say this for I mean, he, and, and I like his films a lot. Uh, he does, he's one of those filmmakers that has the capability of making you laugh and then having the laugh catch in your throat. Because mm-hmm. he, he is a very smart social commentator. And from the sounds of this, uh, you know, it, it's going to be one of those films. And uh, with Woody Harrelson in it, I'm really anxious to see how this is going to turn out
5: moving out of competition for a moment here we have the co-directorial debut of riley keogh along with uh, gina gamel for a film called beast i wasn't expecting to see riley keogh's name on the docket here for a film in Cannes this year so excited to see what she comes up with
4: oh yeah absolutely
5: uh, then we also have The Stranger from Thomas M. Wright, uh, who's an actor that you may have seen before in Top of Lake and a few other things. Uh, this is a movie that's going to be uh, co-starring uh, Joe Egerton and Sean Harris together. That instantly caught my eye. And this is an uh, Australian crime thriller.
4: Oh, I mean, Sean Harris is always a really interesting actor. You Like, he can be very predictable sometimes, but every once in a while he'll throw you a curveball and become an even more fascinating presence so whenever he's in a movie that does sort of raise my eyebrow a bit
5: i just love his voice yeah (laughs) i just really love his voice (laughs) uh i still cannot pronounce this i'm gonna try my best Agnieszka Samsiznaka. i can't i'm sorry the director of the lure did did everyone here see the lure i don't think i saw
4: that one no you haven't seen that no the Mermaid musical? Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's what I thought it was. No, I I didn't get a chance to see that one.
5: <laughs> oh, do yourself a favor. Check that one out because it's just so original and so wild. Uh, it's, it looks – oh, my god. It's great.
4: Oh, yeah, I heard about it, but I just didn't get a chance to see it. But I did certainly hear the murmurs about how wild that film is.
5: Well, she's got a film with Letitia Wright. Uh, that is going to be in uncertain regard as well. And it's based on a true story of June and Jennifer Gibbons, twins from the only black family in a small town of Wales in the 1970s and 80s. And that's a movie that is going to be distributed by Focus Features. Mm. So I, I, I would keep an eye out for that one as well.
4: Oh, yeah. that That is definitely now very high up on my
5: list. Uh, we know that the opening night film is going to be Final Cut, which was supposed to premiere at this year's Sundance Film Festival after it got pulled because the festival decided to go uh, digital due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Miss- Michelle Hazanovati Vishus was like, I am the director of the artist. I am not going to allow you to show my film this way.
4: <laughs> yes, yeah, so and he sounded just like that.
5: <laughs> uh, but it's going to premiere here at Cannes, and even when it was supposed to premiere at Sundance... Looking at the description for this, this zombie uh, comedy film based on uh, one cut of the dead, I-, I was already in the can for this one, no pun intended, uh, when you know it was first announced. So I think it'll be one of those. You know, considering it's the opening night film, I'm just expecting it to be an entertaining movie, not so much like a like all time great movie or anything like that, but just something to set the mood in a positive way. You know? Yeah uh now has anybody here
4: seen the original film no okay because i have and it it's a really good movie and actually sort of fits into his sort of like older movies like the oss films in terms of being like kind of the spoof comedies and um i'm a little curious to see how they're going to remake it because i really do like the original film and kind of don't think it needs the remake but Yeah, the director of the artist going back to like really straight comedy like that. I am very interested to see what those results are.
1: Yeah, I will say I was disappointed when it was pulled out for Sundance. But in fact, I'm probably now going to get to see it in a large crowd opening night of Cannes. Yeah, this is very high on my list.
5: Uh, Josh, did you see that Quentin DePoo has a new film at Cannes this year?
4: Great.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I saw Deerskin and Mandibles uh, as well recently, but I saw that he had a film in the Midnight section, and I was just like, oh, man.
4: Ugh. I was like, Josh is going to love this. Uh, yeah. I mean, I get why people do jive with his stuff, but I am just not on his wavelength, I have
5: to say. <laughs> now, here's something really exciting, though, in the Midnight section. Uh, Lee Jung-jae, who has gained international fame for his performance in Squid Game. Is directing a movie called Hunt, which he, which he is also uh, co-starring in as well. Synopsis for this one: In the 1980s, when the military dictatorship reached its peak, Park Pyong Ho, played by Lee Jung Jae, and Kim Jeong Do, ace agents of National Security Agency, face a huge truth as they pursue a North Korean spy chief in the South. So it's supposed to be like a spy action thriller.
3: He's having such a good moment right now. I'm really happy for him. Like this directorial debut could not have come at a better time. Um, And it sounds like a fun time too. I mean, if anybody knows how to evade some crazy people, it's him from his (laughs) quid case.
5: Brett Morgan, director of uh, Jane. Which uh, famously was not nominated for an Oscar should have been should have won, in my opinion, uh, is going to have a documentary called Moonage Daydream, uh, which is go or Moon Age, sorry Moon Age
2: Daydream, uh, which is going to be about David Bowie, and he and he's got complete cooperation of the Bowie estate, and apparently they've given him access to hundreds of hours. Of never before seen footage. So it's not going to be the same clips we've seen over and over again. This is going to, it's kind of an exciting prospect. Mm. And my last one to shout out here before we
5: get to our trailer discussion about a never filming competition is Ethan Cohen, not Joel, Ethan, just Ethan, is going to have a documentary. Jerry Lewis, Trouble in Mind, also premiering in the special screening section at this year's Cannes Film Festival. What what is going on with the two of them? Are they just like, you know, I want to prove to myself that I can do this on my own. I don't need you, so I'm gonna go off and do my own thing. Like, what what is going on with those two brothers?
3: I think they're just trying to get their parents to watch their films and say, okay, which one of us is better now? You have to pick which one is the better one. (laughs) That's my professional opinion. (laughs) But please, Josh, go ahead with an actual good opinion.
4: (laughs) Well, you know, it also feels to me like they are now entering the age of doing the projects that they – individually wanted to do but the other one just had no interest in so it, it seems like and now they're so established so successful they're like you know what let's just take a break from each other a bit and do the weird stuff that you know we had interest in but maybe the other brother didn't which is sort of an exciting era to now be in yeah and i'm very glad he's doing
2: something that's completely different than his brother did with tragedy beth i mean doing a doc on jerry lee lewis That's going to be so much fun because the subject is so much fun.
5: All right. Those are my talking points before we get to our trailer discussion. Does anybody have anything else that they want to shout out here?
4: Um, I do. I I am interested in the new film from Lucas Don't. Um, Oh, Close? Yes, Close. Yes, I am am interested in that because Girl was an interesting movie. I know there was a lot of controversy around it, but I still think it showed a lot of talent from – a directorial standpoint so i am still very much interested in his in his follow-up
2: cosign yeah
4: and and i'm
2: really interested in the new film by christian among you. yes four months three days oh, three weeks two days that is like one of the best can palm door winners and i'm just really excited to see what he's doing next
5: hey you know beyond the hills and graduation we're not Bad movies, necessarily, either. So, yeah, I'm right there with you, uh, Tom. I'm very, very excited to see what this new one here, RMN, uh, will be. Yeah.
3: We also will finally figure out how Boz Learman's Elvis is in Out of Competition. Um, I can tell you I'm sick of seeing the trailer every time I go to see a movie <laughs> at this point. So,. Love to know how the actual film is itself. <laughs> I'm pretty
5: confident that this movie is going to be a breakout for Austin Butler, and I have a feeling the rest of the movie is not going to be good.
3: Well, that uh, the the performance that Tom Hanks is giving in the trailer is a little scary. It, it's giving <laughs> it's giving Jared Leto's uh, Chef Boy arty. I'll just say that. So, who knows what that? <laughs>
5: Outside of them though, I mean, you have uh Natasha uh, Bassett in here, you've got Cody Smith McPhee, David Wenham, uh Kelvin Harrison Jr. Like there are other names in the cast here, but in terms of like how big their roles are, are they like one scene uh, you know, cameos almost? Like, what 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 is it ultimately going to look like as a whole? <sighs> I don't know, because Baz Luhrmann films are just so erratic and so sprawling and big sometimes, and I just don't think that they are able to come together as a whole. But I'm, like, expecting this to be not as good as Rocket Man, but maybe better than Bohemian Rhapsody. So, like, somewhere in the middle. Quite the range. <laughs> 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 I'm playing it really safe with that prediction, aren't I? <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. Yeah. My prediction is it will look great, and I will probably get a headache while watching it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Baz yes. film. Yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> I am very excited for Austin
5: Butler now. I'm very, very excited for him to have this moment. Uh, You know, he's very young still. He's only had uh, bit roles in other movies at this point, uh, most famously as uh, Tex in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I I hope that this could mean good things for him. He looks genuinely good in the trailer. Yes. Uh, I'm also, after that publicity still released for 3,000 Years of Longing, I, I was not expecting to see Idris Elba with pointy ears, I'll tell you that much, but I don't know what to think about this movie, especially because it's not in competition. So I'm wondering if we're setting ourselves up here for, you know, like, it's going to be, like, audacious and ambitious to a point that it's going to be Harold as, like, some great masterpiece from George Miller, or it's going to be, like, the biggest flop of the
4: festival, I think. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that movie, but... George Miller coming back. Like, that's all I really need to know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. What this uh, still said to me is, like, this is going to be slammed and it'll be rediscovered in 10 years. Music, editing,
5: cinematography. It's the Mad Max team. John Seale, Margaret soul Six, uh, and uh, Tom Hulkenborg. So hmm. they're all back on here for this one. And there's no other cast members mentioned outside of Idris Elba and Tilda, Tilda Swinton at this point. So... I, I, like I said, I don't know what to think of it. I mean, like, Amy, like, what are you expecting heading into this?
1: Honestly, I'm going to try and go in this with no expectation as much as possible, because obviously the bar is set really high from Mad Max Fury Road. But this is a completely, what is it, like an epic fantasy romance or something?
5: Supposedly, yeah.
1: So... I'm just going to go in and hope that I just have a good time, to be honest. Um, there is one project that I'm interested in learning more about, and that's Irma Vep, because it is supposedly a TV miniseries redirected by the person who did it in 1996, Olivia Sias, and it stars Alicia Vikander, so that's got me very interested.
5: And then Top Gun Maverick, I mean, even if the movie is complete garbage— there's no doubt that that's going to be an epic experience to watch on the big screen.
4: Oh, absolutely. Yes.
1: Oh, I'm going to that one for sure.
5: (laughs) I don't know what kind of IMAX they have set up at Cannes or like what their biggest screen is. Like, I don't know how they do these types of movies there, but I know for myself, I will not see this movie in any other way other than an IMAX or a Dolby uh, setting. I I just, I refuse.
3: And we got like a new Lady Gaga film, or excuse me, a new Lady Gaga song for the film too, so gotta hear that on the speakers.
5: (laughs) When you said Lady Gaga film, Emma, I could hear like a collective gasp from everybody, like, (gasps) what do you mean? What
3: did I miss in the lineup? (laughs) Breaking news, my five hours of sleep have let me down a rabbit hole of thinking of Lady Gaga's next film.
5: (laughs) Now, it has been announced that there are more titles Still to be announced in the coming days. So. Yeah. Does this mean that there is still hope for a David Lynch project to show up at
4: Cannes?
5: (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest. You know what I think it's going to be? I think they might just show the restored uh, version of Inland Empire. Sounds likely. Right? That would make sense. But I... I, (laughs) there's there's been a strong rumor that there's something new from David Lynch happening at this year's can now it's either real or it's complete bullshit but I will say that if they are still announcing stuff after the fact it would be pretty cool to get that big bombshell of an announcement in the next few days I I I don't care what it is anything from David Lynch I'm just yes please now immediately
4: (laughs) inject it well, I would love them for them to not announce it, but then still have the speculation keep going. Oh, like it's <laughs> like a secret screening or
5: something like that. Oh,
4: my yeah. God. Or then it just becomes a joke. I'm I'm good for that, too. It's, like, yeah. it's the last day of the festival and people are still saying it, the new David Lynch could still drop. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 4th of July. You know, David Lynch is still going to have a movie. It can.
0: <laughs> I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indie.
4: head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
5: The other film in competition at this year's Cannes Film Festival that we have not mentioned is the return of David Cronenberg Crimes of the Future, which we got a teaser trailer for this week. So we're going to talk about it here on the show. Let's give some thoughts this is coming out in June, no disclosed date at this time, but we will be having its world premiere at Cannes, starring Viggo Bordensen, Lea Seydoux, and Kristen Stewart. Let's take a look at the trailer and give some thoughts. It is time to stop seeing. It is time to stop speaking. To listen. It is time to stop seeing. It is time to stop speaking. It is time to listen.
4: Listen, 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 listen. Oh, my God. I'm so excited.
5: (laughs) He's doing. Body horror again, people. Oh, my God. Oh my I'm so happy. Do you think, like, he watched Possessor and was like, I'm not allowed, about to let my son show me up. I, I'm going back to this shit.
4: <laughs> Truly. Fuck it's you, like,
3: son.
4: Oh, that, that, that was nice, son. Now, let me show you how the professional. <laughs> That's
3: so funny. I uh, I did look at that trailer, and my first thought was, hmm. I don't remember this in the Princess Diana, like, storyline. I don't remember her doing weird-ass sci-fi shit during her life.
5: Outside of David Cronenberg returning to body horror, um, I love his collaboration with Viggo Mortensen. I think that the three films that they've done together, that being A History of Violence, Eastern Promises, and A Dangerous Method, have all been really, really good in terms of just getting the best out of uh, Viggo. So I'm Although, curious. Matt, you, you yeah, are
4: forgetting uh, another collaboration they did. Oh, you're right. Because David Cronenberg <laughs> has a weird ass cameo. I forgot in about that. Falling. I, so- totally I totally forgot, forgot about to
5: that. Oh boy. <laughs>
4: You cannot imagine like my utter shock and amazement when I'm watching this terrible movie, and then suddenly David Cronenberg just shows up in it. It's so strange. It's really bad. (laughs) It's really bad. It's really bad. It It really is. But man, I knew David Cronenberg going back to body horror. Like that is the mode of him that I have wanted back for so long. And oh my god, I am so so excited for this.
2: That first frame. So happy to see that it's neon. They know what to do with this. Mm
5: -hmm. Oh, my God. After Tatan last year? Absolutely.
3: Now, I haven't seen the 1970s Crimes of the Future uh, film by David Cronenberg. So do you guys think this is like um, a continuation of that film? Is this a... A kind of a remake of that film is this a crimes of the future multiverse type of film are there just so many different crimes in the future that we're not aware of <laughs> that this is just here's another type of crime
5: <laughs> he he has said that it is not a remake so i don't know
3: <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i've never seen like, the original movie he just really liked the name of it he was like you know what that actually really worked 50 years ago <laughs> i should Get back into that one.
4: <laughs> it's odd because it's his second
5: movie that he's directed in his career. I I don't know if, if there will be like any kind of a bookend aspect to it or if it just so happens to be called this. You know, like got the script. This was the title and it is what it is. And maybe he thought the studio would decide to change it. And they, you know, and they didn't. So
3: they forgot about the first one. They were like, oh, yeah, we do like this name. <laughs>
5: Well, yeah,
4: because he also wrote and directed this, right? So it's it's his own story. Yeah. See, like that's mm-hmm. that's the okay. So that's the okay. That makes it even more weird now. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know because I haven't seen the other Crimes of the Future, so I I can't say anything about it. Really. No, I haven't
5: seen it either, and now I'm very curious uh, because even though it's not a remake. I wonder if there will be any kind of thematic connections or something like that. So I I feel like I'm obligated now. Like I have to watch this in anticipation for the new film. Outside of that, visually, uh, because we didn't really get much about the story here, uh, visually this looks very interesting.
4: Can't deny that. As one would expect from David Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah.
3: And I'm definitely excited to see, I mean, this is uh, Kristen Stewart's first role post uh, Spencer and this whole award season campaign. So obviously this looks like a huge shift from (laughs) that film. So I'm very excited to see what she has up her sleeve and up her eye as the trailer (laughs) suggests.
5: (laughs) Uh, This is the official synopsis from neon as the human species adapts to a synthetic environment. The body undergoes new transformations and mutations. With his partner Caprice, played by Leia Seydoux, Saul Tesner, played by Viggo Mortensen, celebrity performance artist, publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in avant-garde performances. Timlin, played by Kristen Stewart, an investigator from the National Organ Registry, obsessively tracks their movements, which is when a mysterious group is revealed. Their mission? To use Saul's notoriety to shed light on the next phase of human evolution. Sold. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Give it to me now. (laughs) This just sounds so original. Yes. Absolutely.
4: Yes. I do also want to say, like, David Cronenberg can be hit or miss sometimes. Like, I don't think he has a perfect filmography, but he is always doing something interesting. And... I'm always going to be supportive of a filmmaker who has their own unique style and voice and especially one who hasn't made a movie in a while too. like just the return of that perspective on the cinematic landscape is what I am so excited about. I'm telling you, he saw Possessor. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> but yes, very, very happy to have him back. Overall, Howard Shore, his longtime collaborator, also doing the score for this movie as well. <laughs> I do, I, I do have a little bit of apprehension with the fact that the release after the Cannes premiere is a month later in June. But outside whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. Because like you said, Josh, even his movies that were critically misunderstood at the time of their release, like something like Crash, for example, have gone on to gain like cult followings. So... I wouldn't let like any kind of initial response to this movie sway you. Just see it for yourself, make up your own mind, and who knows? Maybe in 10, 15 years, we'll be looking at it completely differently. I mean, Crash is still pretty fucked up, but you know what I mean.
4: Yeah, <laughs> but it definitely has a better reputation now. I mean, the fact that it has a better reputation than the best picture winner named Crash says it all. <laughs>
2: yeah. Best thing to happen to it.
5: All right, and now let's head on over to this week's poll because it is – tied into the Cannes Film Festival lineup this year. We're asking everyone, which film are you most looking forward to seeing from the 75th anniversary of the film festival? So, Amy, number one, most anticipated.
1: It's got to be Crimes of the Future. That trailer just, uh, yeah, like, there's no... if, If I start seeing material for other films, I might get more excited for them, but... Like, that poster for Crimes of the Future might be my favorite poster I've seen in years. It is stunning. And I really do think Neon know what we're doing when it comes to pushing these gums, especially at Cannes. So, got to go with Cronenberg here. Emma, what about
5: you?
3: I pretty much have to agree with everything Amy just said. Yeah, that uh, teaser trailer just kind of piqued my interest. And I love all three of those actors that we saw in that trailer. So, that one seems like it's going to be a very, very fun time.
2: O'Brien, I think I'm probably going to love Broker the most, but the one I really want to see is Decision to Leave because I have no idea what Park Chan was going to do with that.
5: Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Decision to Leave is probably my most anticipated as well. Josh, how about yourself?
4: I mean, I am looking forward very much to all of those, but just to name something else, I would actually say Stars at Noon, just given that cast and the director involved. Like, yeah, I think that one very much is high up on my list.
5: All right, well, head on over to the polls page at NextBestPicture.com. Cast a vote here. You can choose up to three films and let us know which film from the 2022 Cannes Film Festival you are most looking forward to. And then to recap last week's poll for the release of Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, we centered it around Jude Law, who I feel does not get enough recognition for the work that he's done. So we decided to talk about some Jude Law performances, list a few favorites. Josh Why don't we start off with you? What is your favorite Jude Law performance before we hear what the community had to say?
4: I think it's got to be talented Mr. Ripley. He's just so incredibly good in that film.
5: I agree. I definitely agree. I mean, I agree so much so that he's maybe the only other person I would have been okay with beating Tom Cruise that year for the Oscar if that had happened. (laughs) Tom, what about you?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think Ripley is the default here. It really is a terrific performance that I think has only gotten better looking at it over the years. But I have to say that I've got a real soft spot. The first time that I saw Jude Law was probably in Road to Perdition. And that made me sit up and take notice. Who is this guy who's standing up to Tom Hanks? I like this. And uh, happily, we've seen a lot more of him since. So Road to Perdition is a, a still a favorite. Amy?
1: I will say I need to catch up on a lot of his work. I haven't seen Talented Mr. Ripley yet, but I do have an affection for him in the Sherlock Holmes films. I think they're just a lot of fun, and I'm excited to see where that series goes next because I believe they do have a new film coming up.
4: No,
5: really?
1: Yeah. Uh, directed by the guy that did Rocketman, I think. Oh. I think. Well, that'll
5: be a nice change of pace from Guy Ritchie. Yeah.
4: yeah. I mean, I know that... There was plans to make a third one for a while, but I think that was when Robert Downey Jr. wasn't sure if Marvel was going to take off, and this was like his backup franchise, and then that got put on hold. But now that he's not really doing Marvel movies anymore, he's free to pick this back up.
5: And I always really liked their chemistry, too, so I'm very keen on seeing the two of them return.
3: Mm-hmm. Emma? Absolutely, a big fan of Talented Mr. Ripley, but also to name something else, I love him in The Holiday, Mr. Yeah. Head, What a sweet moment! Um, and among the comedy side, I just couldn't stop laughing at him and Melissa McCarthy in The Spy. So
5: so much
4: fun! Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes, great got, movie too.
3: He's got a fun, you know, a fun filmography. When you, I'm looking right now as like some popular movies, he's been in a good range of things. So good for Jude Law.
5: Uh, And for myself, I am going to shout out a little scene movie that should have gotten uh, more eyeballs on it, and that is The Nest. I think he plays opposite Carrie Coon wonderfully in that movie. Mm -hmm. So if you have not seen that film, definitely seek it out if you can. All right. And this is what the community had to say. Number 10,
4: Contagion. OK, I'm, I remember watching that movie again, like at the start of the pandemic when we were revisiting it. And that is a performance that I think at the time was not really met with a lot of praise. But now it seems kind of tame in modern context. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Number nine
5: made me so happy to see it crack the top 10. It is The Nest.
4: Oh, All right. nice.
5: Number eight, his best actor nomination for Cold Mountain.
4: Which I said last week, he's very good in that movie, even if the movie he is in isn't particularly well done.
5: Somebody said on uh, the comments to the poll last week, I was dying when I saw this. Somebody said, if you say Cold Mountain, you're lying. Nobody likes Cold Mountain.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
4: This movie's not good, but he's good in it. I would still say that.
5: Yeah, I agree. Number seven, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Number six, Road to Perdition. Oh, good. There you go. Number five, we didn't mention this, Gattaca.
4: Oh, he is so good in Gattaca.
5: Number four, one of his, honestly, I think this might be one of his most underrated performances. Number four, AI, artificial intelligence.
4: I have not seen that movie in a while, yeah.
5: You want to talk about an actor who convincingly made me believe that he actually was like a CGI robot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Didn't he get a Golden Globe nomination for that movie? Oh, did he? I think he did. I do not recall. I can't remember off the top of my head, but now I need to know.
4: But he's very good, yeah.
5: He did? Yeah. Well, somebody recognized him.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it was the Golden Globe.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? He got more recognition for number three, Closer.
2: Oh, definitely.
4: Yeah, talk about underrated performances for sure. Underrated movie in general. Oh, yeah. But I also feel like when people talk about like that four person ensemble, they will mention the other three way more than they will mention him. That is true. But I do think they all work really well together. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's why I think it's an underrated performance, because he's, you know, maybe not. He may be number four in terms of how good those performances are, but that still means he's still really, really good.
5: All right. Number two is The Holiday. Wow. Ooh. which means you know number one, obviously talented Mr. Ripley, yeah,
4: yeah. but it's it. actually they nice that it. the holiday plays so high,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a good movie. I have watched that movie like 5,000 times. And honestly, he does charm me every single time. He's a very handsome man in that film.
5: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much to the MVP film community for your votes here. Definitely be sure to cast a vote for the CAD poll. And we will announce the top 10 for that on next week's show. And now to close things out here, we're going to answer questions from the MBP film community. Let's see what they had to ask us this week on Easter Sunday.
0: Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit.
4: Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion.
0: New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find
5: out more about the show at feelingfilm.com.
0: In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive
4: and keep feeling film.
5: Uh, Connor Olin, in honor of Easter, are there any particular movies you like to watch around this time of year?
4: Um, well, I don't always watch it, but it is the movie that I have the strongest association with Easter, and that is The Ten Commandments, because it is one of my dad's favorite movies. And in a similar vein, Josh, DreamWorks Animation,
5: The Prince of Egypt for me. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
5: Love The Prince of Egypt. Holy shit, I love that movie so much. (laughs) Oscar H at the film... Maniac, in honor of the new Fantastic Beasts movie, if you could give one Oscar win for the original Harry Potter franchise, which movie and which category would you pick?
2: Ooh, for me, it would be probably 2011, and I would give Best Supporting Actor to Alan Rickman for
3: Deathly Hallows. Ooh. Ooh, that's a great that's one. That's a good one. Yeah that I could
4: get down with that. I think I would have given Best Cinematography to Half-Blood Prince.
5: Oh, that's a good one, too.
3: I think I would do Best Director, Alfonso Cuaron for Prisoner of Azkaban. Ooh, I love, love yes. that movie. I like that.
1: My first thought went just to Best Score, just in general. I, I still think that theme Tune is one of the most iconic pieces of music to ever be created. Oh, yeah. I really
5: think that, and granted, I think I still would have given it to Rise of the Planet of the Apes, but I would not have been upset if they had won visual effects for Deathly Hollows Part 2.
3: I was so sad and heartbroken every time they lost one of those categories. I was like, are you kidding me?
5: Right? Not a single Oscar win for the entire franchise. Pretty wild in in retrospect. No.
2: And I, yeah. and I think the only Wizarding World one that's ever won an Oscar is the costumes for the first Fantastic Beast.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's disgusting. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Even though it's a deserving win, in my opinion, I do really like the costumes in that film. But that it is the only one that they have been awarded, that that doesn't seem right.
3: No.
5: All right, let's see who's very lucky here with this next question. At the real DRLG on paper, which can title from this year's lineup do you think has the most Oscar potential for this upcoming season? Mm, shot in the dark here. No, no wrong answers. Let's just let's just see who ends up being right here in the end. You
3: know, uh, I'm thinking maybe some very below the line things for Elvis. Honestly, maybe I don't know.
5: Hey, you know what? Uh, Catherine Martin usually gets recognized for costumes and art direction, so I would yeah, not be that's surprised.
3: What I, that's what I'm thinking.
4: Yeah. I am going to take the bet that Park Chan-wook will be our international director So, I, in the Oscar lineup, so I will say decision to leave. I'm going to go with
5: – so I, I, I agree, Josh, but there's a part of me that wonders if Corita – could be our
2: screenplay nominee this year for Broker. Yeah,
4: maybe. Yeah. That's the one I'm looking at, yeah.
2: His scripts are very strong, probably even stronger than his direction. So I could see if you're going to award that film, it might be the script.
5: Yeah. I mean, Top Gun Maverick for sound is maybe a little too easy.
2: Yeah.
5: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) S2S movie reviews. Which upcoming movie from the summer are you most anticipating? So I kind of consider that to be, I guess, June through August here. So I'll go with Jordan Peele's Nope.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. Uh, I probably would say the same. Like, man, I can't even think that far. Like, I'm just taking it one moment at a time right here.
2: And I know some of you have seen it, but uh, I've got to say Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Oh,
3: by
4: heart.
2: Oh,
3: my God. I just uh, saw the trailer for that. The other day in the theater, I actually didn't see the trailer when it came out on social media. Um, I was like ready to start crying.
1: I was like, wait, no, this
3: looks so cute.
4: I do very much (laughs) want to see that. So excited for that.
5: Alyssa Christian. Which film do you think will have the bigger cast in the end? Oppenheimer or Barbie? <laughs> I mean, Oppenheimer has the bigger cast just by numbers, but I think if you ask most people right now, they're leaning more
4: towards Barbies for the diversity aspect of it all. Yeah. Well, and I also think Barbie is probably using those actors more than Oppenheimer. I have a suspicion that all these casting announcements for Oppenheimer, I kind of feel like there may be like one or two scenes. Like with Oppenheimer... A lot of these big name actors I feel like are
5: going to be almost distracting because they're going to probably pop up for a scene or two here and there. And we're going to do a lot of pointing at the screen being like, oh, it's that guy <laughs> versus, you know, with Barbie. And to your point, Josh, I I, I totally agree. Uh, but then again, could be totally wrong. We don't know what Ivor film is going to look like in the end. All we see are these casting announcements and – I'm very disappointed that I have not been cast in Ivor yet at this time.
1: I think you're just saving yourself for Dune part two. Uh,
5: Yes, Denis, call me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You have
1: until like July when they start filming.
5: (laughs) I will gladly go to the desert. Gladly. (laughs) Adamski, prediction for this year's Palme d'Or winner. (sighs) All right, shot in the
2: dark. I'm going to stick with the Abbasi prediction. That's a good one. Uh, I think after Teton last year, they're going to go a little more conventional, and I'll say broker. See, I don't know if they're going to give it to Correna again is the thing. If they give it to the Gardens for the third time, I'm going to scout. That's a good point. That's a good point.
5: <laughs> no offense to the Dardenne brothers. No offense. It's just that, you know. You've had your time.
4: Oh, God. It's so hard to know what's going to land there. Like, I, I could throw a shot in the dark. I probably would actually agree with Tom, but it's whole, it, it really is hard to judge until you actually start hearing word about the movies. <laughs> All right. And then final
5: question for this week from Isaiah Washington. In honor of the bad guys coming out this week, which Emma and I are seeing on Wednesday, I believe, one's got to go category is DreamWorks movies, so of these four films, one has to be kicked out of existence. We have The Prince of Egypt, Shrek, How to Train Your Dragon, and Kung Fu Panda.
4: Uh, I mean, it seems sort of obvious that it would be Kung Fu Panda to me. I still (laughs) really like Kung Fu Panda. I mean, I do too.
5: I, I, I cracked up when I recently heard Quentin Tarantino discussing in an interview that Kung Fu Panda is basically a ripoff of Kill Bill. And it made me want to rewatch Kung Fu Panda all over again. Okay, now man. I know
3: what I'm doing this afternoon.
4: Also, uh, Tarantino maybe should not be talking so much about rip-off movies. Oh, he didn't mean it in a negative uh, way. He, he meant it more like, oh,
5: that's really cool, you know? Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, and even Shrek, uh, if I remember correctly, has a Tarantino reference in it as well with the um, – Oh, no, not the original Shrek. It wasn't the original Shrek. I think it was like the third movie. They used no. the uh, Kill Bill Fee f- music at some point or another. <laughs> I mean, those movies are just all references,
4: basically.
3: <laughs> those movies are actually the peak of cinema. So watch <laughs> what you're saying.
5: <laughs> I adore The Prince of Egypt. Shrek has a, p- a special place in my heart. And I recently rewatched How to Train Your Dragon. And it was better than I remembered it being, actually. So, Oh, that first one especially is so good. Yeah, and that's the best of the three, in my opinion, too. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I got to kick out Kung Fu Panda. Sorry, Jack
4: Black. And that is a fun movie as well. I do like the Kung Fu Pandas, but the other three, I think, are just way better. Yeah, they're stiller.
5: All right. Well, that'll do it here for Episode 290 of the next Best Picture podcast. Amy Smith, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the Internet. So that this way they can follow you for your canned coverage.
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Films with Amy, and I will be posting a lot because I don't get out much often so when I have a chance to go to France yeah I'm taking a lot of photographs
5: nice very very much looking forward to your adventures over there hope to join you uh, in the future as well every year now with a passing can I'm always just like why am I not going I need to go but it, it should be a really good time I'm really really excited for you overall Tom O'Brien where can he find you on the internet you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien Emma Sasek
3: I'm on Twitter at Emma underscore Sassic and Letterbox at Emma Sassic
5: And Josh Parham. You can find me
4: on Twitter at J.R. Parham.
5: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon for one dollar minimum a month you will get some exclusive podcast content from us including our 2012 retrospective which kicked off this past week with our review of zero dark dirty and then we have skyfall coming uh, later this month and then next month we'll be doing beasts of the Suburban wild and more more to come in the weeks ahead thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time